Hello everyone, another episode of Room with a Review episode. Another episode of Room with a Review episode? I'm on a roll. So, this one is a little bit later in the week. Obviously there's some difficult situations happening around the world, and that's probably putting it mildly. I'd just like to say, make sure you're safe. Look after the people you know need looking after. Let people know if you're unwell. Don't take any unnecessary risks. Wash your hands. All of those things. Listen to the right advice. But more than that, I'd also like to say, I think it's really good how we've got some positives coming out of this people are really starting to take note of things and I think there's a lot of positives that will take away from it when it's all said and done too I think when you think about teachers especially are are becoming skilled in using different approaches which I I would say is a good thing overall I think everyone's come to realize the importance of face-to-face time and the immediacy of teaching and why it's so important to be able to give that instantaneous feedback to students. That's a very important thing. But broader than that, I think people are realising the excess or excessive lifestyle we used to have. You hear all these reports of the pollution in China and Los Angeles, like two of the world's most polluted places, air pollution, just declining. You could see satellite images of pollution over China just clearing over the last few months where it's visible again as in the city is visible from space and satellite imagery LA they're saying the sky is pretty clear and having I've been to LA and you could some days were definitely clearer than others but dramatic difference and I think that's one thing that people need to consider I know there's gonna be workplaces that try to reduce face-to-face time in future they're gonna say it's more cost-effective to work from home I think we'll have a swing back against that soon after that happens anyway I think productivity and again the immediacy is often better face to face but I do think we're going to explore other ways of operating I think the way we use food the way we prepare for the future I think it's going to be quite interesting how all of these things come together and work but I do think there are definitely some positives coming out of it that will realise just how much we've been impacting the world around us And the different ways we can operate that may be a little bit more streamlined, effective and positive. So as bad as everything is, I think that's one really, really positive I want to take away from this. And I wanted to start the show with that because, well, A, it's important and it's something I more and more firmly believe as this whole situation goes on. But I also feel that It's a good lead-in to the feature part of the episode, which is Up. I'd never seen Up before. I watched it the other day. And, wow, it's not depressing, but it's it's not a happy movie. And it's one of those movies that's definitely for older kids, but... It's hard to nail down exactly who the target, like who would be the desired audience, who would be the, the most appropriate audience, which is always good and bad. I think it's good when a film has appeal across a broad range of ages. 
but it can also be a negative because sometimes you don't quite get the buy-in from a certain demographic you want. So Shrek absolutely did it perfectly. It had enough slapstick and basic humour for younger, uh, younger kids. It had slightly more complex intertextual humour and all those references for older kids. So things like Babe, The Matrix, etc., etc. Uh, I think Beauty and the Beast, various, various other things. And your knowledge of fairy tales obviously helps that too. And then as you get older again, you've got some of the more adult humour, other references that you missed the first time around. So Shrek's really, really good at doing that. Us, uh, Us Up is... I don't know that it's at that point that it's quite as universal as that. I don't... I think if you showed it to young kids, they'd get it, but I don't think it would have the same emotional impact. If you show it to older kids, they'd get it, but it's maybe a little bit too childish for some of them that would go, nah, nah, I'm too mature for this. Even though they'd probably actually enjoy it if they sat down and watched it. I think if you're a teenager, you might actually start to come around full circle where you say, oh, I'm emotionally mature for this and I understand it and it hits home a lot harder. And as an adult, I think it especially is not confronting, but has some upsetting parts. Now, Up is obviously famous for uh, a montage early on, and there will be spoilers per se, and I just realised I did that in inverted commas despite this being an audio platform. Uh, There will be some spoilers, but it's 10 years old or more. Up has, yeah, a very famous montage early in the film, and I think you could take the first 10 minutes or so of Up and it would be an amazing short film on its own. It, it, that montage is truly fantastic. But I think the more emotional s- part was later in the film when Carl, our main character, is looking at a photo album, scrapbook sort of thing that his wife had made. And it shows that her adventure was actually, like her her favourite adventure was actually just growing with him. And so the whole film, we've got them being adventurers, they want to go and discover new things. And then when she uh, passes away and they haven't achieved some of those things, Carl decides he wants to complete one last adventure, which is going to Paradise Falls, where they said they'd always go. And then he, he leaves to go there. So... The famous montage from the start, which is about their time from childhood to adult as getting married and their their married life, that is quite sad because we're dealing with someone you can see how much they care for each other, but the the death of that, and that's very sad and upsetting. But I think the later scene, because it's that it recaptures that same sadness you had from the beginning of the film, but then in a much more happier way and you kind of just pure emotional outburst so I think it kind of bookends the movie really well with two very emotional scenes and I think it's a very good movie for that reason Uh, we've also got a little bit of sadness from the other main character Russell who I feel we're not given the full story of that was a bit odd there was parts where he was talking about his relationship with his father and it was very positive at times but then also a little bit not neglectful but the father was busy or didn't have his time for him and they just couldn't connect properly and we never really got closure on that because at the end of the movie Carl was kind of 
filling some of that role. And I thought that was a bit odd. So there's some other emotional parts. But I think the movie's got some other um, quirks I want to touch upon before I get into some of the the real beauty of it all. There's a lot of uh, dark components to it. You've got things like dogs physically being violent towards each other, like our, our main dog, Doug. Uh, he gets grabbed by the neck and thrown by a, a dog literally known as Alpha. It was a bit upsetting. Uh, we see maybe 20 to 30 dogs fall off a cliff and what we presume is going to be dead when they hit rocks at the bottom, but they land in a river and they survive. A little bit concerning. Uh, we also see the main antagonist of the film uh, fall to his death. We don't see him actually die, but we know that he's dead. Uh, again, a bit heavy-handed with the violence. And then at the beginning of the film, Carl basically hits someone with his walker and on the head, and this man bleeds, and Carl is kind of charged with assault. It's, it's quite a concerning movie. Uh, there are a few other moments like that too, and I was just like, this movie is not really for kids, is it? So, yeah, there's all of those things amongst it, and I think they just detract from it slightly. The, I mean, the dog being thrown by his neck happens twice, I feel like it's a bit too much. The dogs falling off the cliff was maybe unnecessary when they survive anyway, but it was just a bit shocking, really. Um, yeah, I think some of those things are a little bit... They, I think they just detract from the movie as a whole. Just those unnecessary things. Like, it's clumsy... Clumsy... Not storytelling, but just clumsy solutions to problems. Very, uh, what's the term two-sex machine or whatever it is. I forget those, those ones. But anyway, uh, MacGuffin and stuff like that. But yeah, it's, it's... I don't know how I feel about it. I don't think that that quite worked. But overall, I think it's a very simple movie in its concept, but it's executed really, really well. It's one of those... It's like what I said about 1917. There's not a lot of depth to the plot but I think the technical side of it and the narrative of it all, the way the narrative is told, is super important. I think in terms of what this movie does really well, it's the characters. The characterization of this film is just brilliant. Uh, you, you, the montage alone tells us everything we need to know about Carl, and yet he still grows throughout the movie. We see that he's not super grumpy, but he's not super happy and we completely empathise with him. And then as things happen to him throughout the movie, we just have that emotional connection. We have so much empathy for Carl as our central character. I don't think we develop the same sense of empathy for Russell, as I said before, the, the unresolved nature of his relationship with his dad is a little bit frustrating that we don't find out more. Unless I've just missed a line... Uh, where the dad passed away or something, and maybe I missed that, but I don't think I did. Uh, so there'll be people that watch it and they're like, no, this is what happened to Russell's dad. You missed it. What are you talking about? Mm, okay, fine, I missed it. Uh, but yeah, I think Doug as a character is much better. The other, the antagonist, I forgot his name, but it's the Christopher Plummer character. 
the antagonist, his characterization is quite good. That even at the beginning of the movie, you could see he wasn't quite a positive person. And that's kind of it. That that's the majority of the characters really. Ellie, we see enough of to. She kind of just becomes an extension of Carl, and I think maybe we're just missing. Again, that that we're not missing a female voice per se because I don't think. I think we get some of it from Ellie, but I don't. I think we could have just had uh, instead of Russell a a female child. Although people would have gone, oh no, it's concerning. No, no it's not. Uh, but yeah, I don't. I think Ellie was quite a strong female, though. It's just disappointing that she was not the main character. I think, but I think it was better that it was. Carl, perhaps, because he had that... We see very on that he's very much a cautious person and he didn't want to step outside of his comfort zone. And I think it was good because you got to see that growth throughout the movie, that he was forced to move on and leave things behind. So, yeah, in terms of the narrative and character, I think that's easily the strength of the movie. The contrast between some of these things... And the complexity of the character is not that Carl is not just a grumpy man that learns to be happy again, that he is happy throughout, that he's positive towards Russell for a large part of it. I think that's all important. I think perspective and point of view then as an extension of character are also super important for this movie, that by the end of the movie, when we see exactly that empathy we have with Carl, that we see his perspective so clearly, I think it's really, really important that we come to completely understand his motivations for everything and even when he doesn't act in the most positive way we still completely are on his side and we are not rejecting him in any way I think likewise with Russell we see definitely why he wants to do the things he do that he's just a very caring person that he has this innocence to him. But I think all the characters' perspectives we see really, really well and they're shown quite well without having that point of view type stuff too much. So I think perspective, character, point of view, narrative are all all really good. In terms of symbols, there's actually not that much. I know the house and the balloons are symbols. The, the bird, Kevin, that they're trying to save is a symbol. But... There's a, there's a few other smaller ones throughout it, but it isn't something that I think is really strong. So I don't think the representation of other ideas is overly well done. I think the, the motifs are much more effective. There are, there are many motifs throughout that we see. Crossing hearts, those balloons, as I said, the house, some chairs, a photo, and a little ceramic bird. All of those things, they are definitely the motifs that we get so I think the motifs that we get throughout the movie are equally important to it. Uh, that's probably the main things, I think, that it's worth talking about. Even, but I think, if you've ever seen it, look up the, is it 21, 25 rules of Pixar's storytelling, whatever it is. They're pretty good rules and they're good for creative writing for students to be aware of too. But I think... It, this is an exact manifestation of those rules, that you look at them and go, yep, tick, 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 all of the way through. 
But I think what Pixar's so good at is the, some of the subtlety to it all that you've got things like the credits where the job titles of different people match the images that we're seeing. So before the credits roll, you get the the significant credits. I don't know what your the technical term for it is, but the, the people that have done the big roles on the film and we're looking at it as a photo album. So you get things like uh, director of music or composer or something, something along the lines of some the person basically in charge of the music for the film and at the same time it's accompanied by a photo of Russell and Carl playing instruments or playing music and you also get uh, as a director of animation and you see kind of the classic flip book sort of approach but with three photos and all of the and even the badges at these times match those things I think yeah it, it's just little things like that are what makes separates Pixar movies largely from other animated films and I think some movies are they've really started to capture that a lot more more recently. I don't think we have the lazy animators that we used to have either, and computers probably helped that, but you can put in those extra details. And I think that's one of the things that this movie really has going for it, that, yeah, for instance, you could hear the noise, the balloons, when they first get revealed, the, the, the kind of rubber bouncing on each other. Uh, you've got... I'm trying to think of some, there's probably others that I just didn't take note of at the time, but all the way through it's just so well done and that, that attention to detail and those little extra things that just make this movie better. So in terms of up where you would use it with students, I think if you're doing anything with journeys, if you were kind of needed a feature text, it would definitely work really well for Year 7 students. I know some students tried to use it, like for instance, with Year 11 when they did journeys as an area of study um, as a, or as a imitation of an area of study, up was a pretty common choice. Uh, but I think, as I said, the character, you could definitely use that montage. I know people have used that montage very, very well. Or even that first 10 minutes, especially, the, the journey of that, the characterization of that. I think in terms of value, I think you really need to study as a whole text. I don't think you can just pull apart parts of this and have it make sense because it's so interwoven that if you watch anything from the last 45 minutes, you'd need to have seen the first 45 minutes because it set so many things up. Likewise, if you see the first 45 minutes, it won't have the same value or meaning as it does by the time you see the end of the film. So I think you do need to kind of watch the entire 90 minutes or so on as a whole, which is not that long. You can easily watch that quite quickly. But I do think that especially the first 10 minutes you could, is probably the main part you could cut away and just use on its own because I think it is a complete story as sad as it might be. Now, whether or not you do that with sevens is up to you. I think there are definitely enough things from all of that you could use. It, it doesn't really fit strong protagonist-antagonist storyline, so I don't think you would use that... But in terms of characterization, you could definitely use it to study Carl, as I said. Storytelling and narrative is very important. Again, it's one of those, those movies that if you've got really strong film students or animators, it would be a great one for them to view because I think it's not necessarily groundbreaking, but very, and not even unique, but, but different and stronger 
than most than most films. The animation is very smooth as well, so I think that's also quite important. You could see the progress in Pixar's work from even things like Monsters Inc. and The Incredibles to Up. There was it's it's definitely a step forward. Uh, now, in terms of this movie's value, I think also that you could... I mean, this was on that list. I, I mentioned it several episodes ago when I talked about 12 Angry Men. This is another one that's from that same list, so I've talked before. I've got a couple of friends. I've got lists of books and movies to view and read before you die. This is on the movies list, and I, uh, I don't know that I agree with it being on there. Uh, and at some point, I'll update you. I think when I finish a row because there's you know about must be 10 rows I think when I finish a row I'll update you on each of those movies if I think they belong there or not I don't know about up if it's there because of the emotional value then I understand it it is very emotional if it's there because of the animation development I think there are more important movies that should be there instead if it's there, I don't, I don't think, as I said before, the narrative is not super complex, so I don't think it's there for that. Maybe in terms of the way the narrative is told, the interwoven nature of it all, perhaps I can make an argument for it. But, I mean, if not, I, I think the whole movie rests on maybe too much on those two very emotional moments. And while that's important, that's very good, it's, it's integral to the whole film and the whole rest of it contributes to it, it grows from that. And it's the same for many films, I guess if you take away certain parts, it's, you know, lacking everything, but really it's bookended by these two moments and everything in between is a little bit underwhelming almost, that we kind of just go through a large part of the movie and yeah, not much is happening. Um, there's kind of a good 20 minutes through the middle where there's, there's not really much growth for anyone. The plot doesn't really rapidly progress. I think that was a bit lacking. Like it, it peaked so early and then it just dropped off a bit and then it picked back up by the end. But I do think that in terms of 100 movies to watch before you die, yeah, I get it. But... I think Toy Story, although I think Toy Story is on that list anyway, but if you're going to pick one animated film that really changed things, Toy Story and Shrek should both be there. I think both of those were so phenomenal in what they did. I think uh, the fact that I don't... Oh, let me look at this list. Because I don't think that it's even got, for instance, Grave of the Fireflies on there or... Uh, any of those kind of texts. I'm just looking through it now. Can't see it. Oh, Spirited Away is on there. Okay. But I think Grave of the Fireflies, for instance, if you want an, an emotional animated movie, should be on there. Uh, the Lego movie, I feel, should be on there. I think that's a, that's a brilliant movie. So, up. Yep, fine. I understand why it's on the list. It is very emotional, but I just don't know that it's... As, as at the same level as Toy Story, Shrek, Spirited Away, Greater the Fireflies, Lego Movie. I just think it's a rung below that on that kind of ladder. 
And I think you could have... I'm sure there must be another Pixar one that I'm forgetting. That is... I mean, Toy Story 3 was super emotional. So if you had the whole Toy Story trilogy, I'm not including 4, that would be a good good add. Hmm. I'll have to think about it. But... Yeah, I don't... I just, I just think it's problematic that it's on the list when... You've also got ones, I think, Tangled is not quite as emotional, but I like it more. Uh, Moana should maybe be on there. I just think that, that, you know, obviously this list maybe predates Moana, but doesn't they predate Tangled? I feel as though that those are maybe better options. I think, yeah, both Tangled and Moana, and even Brave. I, I love Brave, but I know it's not a big popular choice. Prin- uh, Princess and the Frog, the Disney version, also were quite good. Any of those ones... I think could you can make just an equal of a case for it to be on the list as you could up. So I don't know that I agree with it being on there. Beauty and the Beast, again, another one. These aren't maybe the same emotional, but I think in terms of brilliance and some of the things they do, even technically, is very important. Musically for Princess and the Frog especially. Yeah, I think... It's, it's a bit of a question that needs to be asked about up. Do we overvalue it because of that emotional intensity of it? And does it kind of blind us to some of the other things? Or is it just really, it is that good and maybe it, it works against us that we've got these emotional things that it, it makes the other seem less complex and less good. Less good. How good is my English right now? Yeah, maybe it works both ways. So I can definitely understand why you put it on the list, but... I don't know that I would have it on my list of 100 films to see before I die if it's a representation of animated films at the expense of some of these others. I think Happy Feet, you know, again, technically, to, if you look at how that was made, it absolutely deserves to be there too. So I guess, as I said, when I go through this list, I'll maybe create my own list by the time I finish it. I think 100 movies that I think everyone should see before they, they die. And some of it will be the same. Some of it will be quite different. I think... Yeah, there are some good choices on that list, but anyway, I'll go through it row by row once I complete a row. So that's it from me for now about the feature text. I'll be back in a couple seconds with Ad of the Week. So Ad of the Week this week is, uh, there's two parts to it. And they're both ads, I think, are a little bit distasteful with everything that's going on. So in the peak of quarantine, self-isolation, lockdown during COVID-19, where people are losing jobs or not working and not earning money and all the other economic turmoil that's going on, I've seen ads and heard ads for, it was either Seek or Jora.com, as well as ZipRecruiter. I think these are a little bit problematic now, although obviously maybe planned for a while to go out at this point in time and maybe a month or two ago when we didn't know how bad it would get to this point. But, I mean, surely you've got to... Some, some executive has to be able to make a decision about that. There are a lot of podcasts that have got ZipRecruiter as sponsors and I just feel like that's maybe not the right time to be playing those ads. I mean, it is good for companies to know how to hire people when this all is over, if they need to, but... Jeez, I, I thought it was a little bit distasteful. Uh, and having that kind of... Uh, what's the phrase for it? But being 
emotionally negligible. I don't know. There's a phrase I'm trying to think of that's not coming to mind. But these are sort of things that can really give a company a bad name where obviously like if you're a company that's seen to be profiteering off things that are happening at the moment, then you're going to kind of get a bad rep for that. People will not trust you. That loss of faith is quite important. At the same time, like if if it's seen as a money grab, for instance, uh, for instance, let's just say if 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 Uber Eats said, "Oh, right now we've got a special deal on blah blah blah," where everyone's forced to stay in, I think that that would go down badly. And I think it's the same for these hiring slash recruitment websites, whether it's you finding a job or someone finding hires I just think that someone needed to make a decision to replace that or pull that ad uh, and say this was supposed to be an ad for this company however we've decided I think that goes down so much better than it would if you just left it alone and I think these PR moves are really important in these times because when it's all said and done you know whether it's six months a year 18 months hopefully not when everything's kind of back to normal or at least economically is picking up again, I just think these companies need to... It sounds really harsh that they need to think of themselves for the long term, but they do because it's going to be important that we have these... as many businesses remain intact and people have trust in these businesses again. So I think those companies need to really consider how they've gone about it all. The other one, I saw a Dettol ad. Come on, guys. You're making enough money. You don't need to advertise. Uh, I think advertising in this climate and everything that's going on, a little bit distasteful. So I think just in terms of ads, I'm not talking about good ads or bad ads. I'm just talking about the way ad companies market themselves right now and the impact that has, the way people perceive them in a few months' time, a year's time, is going to be important because people remember some of this stuff. And... Again, they're lessons to learn about feeling, reading the room and feeling the pulse, I think. So that's all I'm going to say about ads for the moment. And finally, I'll be back in just a few seconds with War and Peace. Finally, uh, War and Peace update. I'm still on track, uh, which is good, even though... You'd think I have more time. I'm not actually reading it further ahead because I'm doing other stuff instead. Lately, we've seen a lot more good contrast between Nikolai Rostov and Andrei Bolkonsky, which I think is good. Andrei is definitely becoming more a man of the people. Uh, we've had a discussion between him and Pierre freeing serfs on their estates, which I think is important. I'll come back to that because the last couple of chapters I read were very good at covering those things. But also Nikolai Rostov, he's becoming anti-war, at least anti-military. He's getting very frustrated with the bureaucracy of it all. Uh, and the attitudes that people have, how they don't seem to care as much. So Andre, on the other hand, though, I think it's really good because it talks about how he's respected and valued for listening to the needs of the people and that he's not just siding with the wealthy. But it, it really ties into what the French Revolution has represented for world history, that between the US Revolution and someone throwing the Haitian Revolution around the same era, 
and the French Revolution, all in the space of about 20 to 30 years, it really is the beginning of modernity. And for Europe especially, Napoleon and the French Revolution, all of that together, that we've got republics and democracies really increasing in number, I think it's just so important. And I think... I mean, Napoleon is one of my favourite historical figures, and I think he gets a bad rap because he was so almost a warmonger. But when you look at his political and social and economic impacts, it's, it's quite significant. Uh, and he's definitely had a lasting legacy that we don't even realise, that some of the systems that we have in place now, just basically Napoleon set up, they've been adapted a bit over the years, but basically there's this whole conversation about, or a bit some narration about how Napoleon's impact on France is now starting to rub off on Russia. And I think that's super important, that it's something that we overlook a lot, that even though they were about 100 years, 120 years apart, just the way the French Revolution shaped so many revolutions across Europe. Uh, as I said, that, you know, yeah, the American one was important too, the War of Independence, but in terms of shaping politics from then until now, the French Revolution has, has just been instrumental all around the world. Uh, so, yeah, I think th there's this little excerpt about it and how these Russians are starting to adopt some of these ideas. I think Tolstoy was way, Tolstoy, yeah, Tolstoy was way ahead of his time in terms of pushing for these things because it didn't happen until 60 years after he died almost, but it was definitely a growing movement and you can see it here that more and more people are becoming supportive of the idea of freedom and democracy and republics. So it's definitely getting really interesting. I like this new take on Napoleon that he's not the villain anymore, that we're seeing him as a hero in many ways. I like it. I like it a lot. So I'll definitely keep reading that over the next few weeks. I will maybe hopefully get ahead even further, but that's it for now. Uh, I'll keep trying to do these episodes once a week. Hopefully they won't be coming late like this week's was. Thanks, everybody.